words are becoming too much. And you start feeling like Job, who says this in Job 17, verse 1, my spirit is broken, my days are extinct, the graveyard is ready for me. (laughs) You've gotten to that point where you just, I I can't go along anymore. This is the feeling you get as you read through the first, again, 31 chapters of the book of Job. And if you've read, the author does an incredible job of allowing you to experience those things. And, and during this time, you've met the three prosecutors, and they are given three names in the book of Job. There's Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, not to be confused with Zohan. That would be very, very ugly. While not officially on trial, the book of Job reads like one who feels like he's been on trial. These are three men, and these are three men who continually remind Job of how little he, he has done to make God happy. These three friends have some good qualities but they're only found in chapter two. And in chapter two, they are the most useful wisdom team. They're most useful as friends in chapter two because they're silent. (laughs) You ever had those friends? You would be really helpful right now by not saying a word. That would be great. If you've lost somebody, if you've had that experience of having to go through grief and, and you don't know where to turn and your life has been turned upside down, I can tell you from personal experience and from walking through many, many people, the most helpful thing that you need in the midst of grief, in the midst of needing wisdom, is somebody who will just come and they'll just sit with you and they won't say a word. They'll just, I'm going to come over, I'm bringing food and and we're just going to sit and I don't expect anything. I just want you to know I'm here. And, and Job's friends in, in Job chapter 2, they come over to Job's house in the middle of him losing everything and they just sit with him in the ashes, it says. And they just are quiet. And I think the wisest friends that we can have around us are the ones who know what season you're in and know when to give advice and when to just sit and just listen. These three men were the most useful when they were quiet, but as they continue, they realize that they are actually becoming less and less useful. So let's hear some of these themes that these guys who are his wisdom team are saying to Job. Here are a couple things that they start to explain to Job as he is working through this pain and this anguish. In Job chapter 4 verse 7, we begin with Elipaz and he says, not verbatim, but he says this, uh, whoever is innocent will not be punished or he basically is saying when bad things don't happen to good people. And that's a paraphrase of, of the chapter. But he basically explains to Job, hey, if you were innocent, you would have good things happen to you. Whoever is innocent will not be punished or bad things don't happen to good people. And it's a terrible advice. And, and, and he starts to believe it. And it's not the reality. And then you have Bildad in Job chapter 8 where he says, repent and life will be easy. Enough guilt and penance and your life will be overflowing with wealth, cattle, and family. He says, Job, the problem is the reason you are the way you are is because you're not feeling guilty enough. If you were to truly be guilty and show how guilty you feel on an ongoing basis, God will honor you and you will live a long life with many, many things. Not true, unhelpful, unwise counsel. Job 11, we get to Zophar. He says this, you deserve actually much worse than this. That's a great friend, right? (laughs) You think you have it bad? Your wife's and kids are all killed. Your house is gone. Your cattle's gone. You have no job. You have sores all over your body. And he says, hey, the reality is in the grand scheme of God and church and this whole thing, you actually deserve worse, you worm. And there's a worms thing in there. And he's like, what? And I think sometimes the church can feel like that, unfortunately, sometimes to people where we can kind of come at them and say, your life is terrible. Let me tell you how much you deserve more 
of guilt upon your life. And so Zophar says you actually deserve much worse. At least you don't have it as bad as... He goes to the equivalent of, think of those starving kids in the Christian guilt trip drenched in compassion, right? At least you don't have it as bad as the kids in Africa or China or wherever you want to put them, right? He puts the Christian guilt trip on this guy and he says, that, that's not helpful. That's just crushing. And then you go back to Elipaz, okay? So let's go back to the first guy. He tells Job, you are way too arrogant. You are, you are, just, you are just caught up in yourself. Verse 15 and 16. Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt. You are a man, he basically says, who drinks injustice like water. That is you, Job. You need to turn. Behold, God can't be near you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Not a really wise part of your team. And then you have Bildad. He's come, he comes again at Job in, verses, in chapter 18 and in chapter 25. Job, you are wicked. Just stop being you. <laughs> Great. Great advice. Thank you. If you could just change, you could just change one thing about yourself and, and this will be, all go away. Great. Tell me what I need to change. Stop being you. Great. Thank you. I need a new friend. He says, stop being you. You can't help you, Job. This is all on you. And then you go back to Zophar again. Job, you are wicked. We all know that people like you suffer. This is like his friends. This is his inner circle. These are the people God has chosen to surround Job with. At which point in chapter 31, you feel like taking your own life because you've heard all this advice given to Job and you can't handle it anymore. You're like, this is terrible. Because here's the reality when we get to those kind of friends around us who say these kind of things, who who aren't wise and they don't build that team around yourself. Here's what happens with those kind of friends are in your life. They go from interesting to irritating to overwhelming to eventually they just become useless. Isn't that true? In your own friendships and in those who try to tell you what to do all the time and they're not helpful and they're not giving you wise counsel. They're just in your life to speak things into your life that aren't helpful. At first, they're interesting. And at first, you're kind of like, well, maybe I should think about what they're telling me. Maybe that's maybe what I think. But as you continually put it through the scriptures and thing, you find out that it's not interesting. It's actually irritating at this point because they continue to jab at you and jab at you and guilt you and guilt you. And then after a while, it goes from irritating to where it's just overwhelming to then you start avoiding them, right? You won't go as far as defriending them because then it looks bad on you. But, but at least you'll block them, right? Because you don't want their voice in your life. And then after a while of being overwhelmed, you ultimately get to the point in the friendship where they just become useless. And that's a horrible place to be. But they start to kind of feel that way. And that's where Job's friends started to move towards this progression. They started off interesting. They started off, then they went to irritating. They felt overwhelming. And by the end of chapter 31, they are useless. You read at the end of chapter 31, the words of Job ended. Let's get into chapter 32. So these three men, this is where they became useless. 32 verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job. There has just been so much noise, and then all of a sudden the dialogue just stops. They cease to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes, and they just become mute. They became useless. Now enter the character witness into the impartial courtroom. Elihu enters into chapter 32, and Elihu will be our example of what people on your wisdom team should look like. And so here's what your wisdom team should look like based off of a lot of things that Elihu begins to say here. So he begins 
With an introduction of who he is, verse 2, Then Elihu, the son of Brachio, the Buzzite, the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be wrong. They just kept telling him he was wrong with no reasons. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he, and that Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men. He burned with anger, and Elihu, son of Rachel the Buzite answered and said, I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. He says, it's not age, it's not wisdom, it's not credentials that build the wisdom team around you. It is the spirit of breath of the Almighty in us that causes us to be wise. And so the first thing we realize about Elihu and this team is that verse, verse 11, he says this, Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise saying while you searched out what to say. This wise young guy enters into the life of Job at just the right time. And he gives us this principle. Wise people listen more than they lecture. We say in small groups and community groups all the time, right? What's one of our main rules that we break all the time? No fixing right? And it drives many of you in this room nuts. Like you come to community groups and you leave and you're like, I just kept talking and nobody fixed it. There was no, there was no answer. I just kind of, I'm so frustrated. We do that on purpose because we want you to be able to process these things without giving you quick answers. That doesn't mean we're just going to leave you and just, you know, in your frailty, you leave the group and you're like, I'm just going to, it's not that. It's the ability to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn and I'm not going to lecture you because a wise friend will spend more time listening and observing from the sidelines rather than waiting for a report on your progress to be delivered. That makes sense? So he's, a wise friend's going to sit on the sidelines and watch and observe and not just wait for you to come with your progress report of how you're doing in life. It's, it's the difference between a coach and a parole officer. And the parole officer is just waiting for you to screw up. The parole officer is just making sure that you've, you've done the right things and you've, you've not said the wrong things. And, and, and I think sometimes our friendships can feel more like parole officers than they could do a good coach. Because a good coach is going to coach you from the sidelines and he's going to be able to watch your swings, he's going to be able to watch your, 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 your stance, he's going to be able to watch your form, and he's going to be able to check and chase and watch you along the way. This listening and observing is what a wise friend does. They listen more than they lecture it is far more often what the right people see and hear versus what they know. Because a, a coach, honestly, if you, if you use the analogy, a coach is typically not better than the athlete that they're coaching. They're just more observant and can pull out the best in that player. A coach is not necessarily the guru. The coach is not necessarily the one who could, who could score all the points and, 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 and had the career all through high school and college. The coach is simply one who watches from the sides and listens more than they lectures and can point you in the right direction. They listen well enough to not only unpack your past, this is, this is the, the, the day-to-day, a good friend will listen well enough not only to unpack your past, but assess your present so that you can thrive in the future. That's what a good friend does. They listen more than they lecture. And so I want you to think through your friends and those who are in your inner circle of wisdom, do they listen more than they lecture? Next, 32 verse 12. He says, I gave you my attention and behold, there was not among you, there was not among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. He goes after the friends now. Elihu starts to kind of pour against these friends and he's like, hey, you guys are pretty much useless 
And he basically tells them what we need to know about our friendships, and that is this, wise people love you enough to get in your face. Do you have a wisdom team around you that love you enough to call you out on your own stupidity? Are they, are, they, are they loving you enough to call you out on your own selfishness? They're able to love you and get in your face because the right team will evaluate you against your potential, against your strengths, against your walk with Jesus Christ, and not evaluate you based on comparing you to other people. They will know that you are capable of and will, they will know what you are capable of and push you to your best and not someone else's best. They, they will listen and they will be in your face and be able to call you on the things they need to call you on. 3221, another principle here. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person. This is a lie who's speaking. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person for I do not know how to flatter else my maker would soon take me away. He's coming in. He's like, I will just be impartial. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not just going to be saying, I'm not going to be the yes man in your crowd who's going to just continue to tell you all the nice things about yourself so you feel better at yourself, about yourself. I will come at you with the word of God and I will know that my ro- what my role is. Wise people will know that their role is to be the mouth of God to you. They will speak scripture to you. They'll love you, but they will ultimately say, I'm not going to overflatter you. I'm not going to overcompensate. I'm just going to basically be here and say, this is what the word of God says. How are you dealing with the word? of God. They will know their role and do it well. Another one, behold, verse 33, verses 6 to 7. This is Elihu. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Wise people know when to be blunt and when not to crush. I love Jesus' words in the Gospels where he says, a bruised reed I was not snuff out or I'm sorry, I will not crush. He says, I I know who you are, Job. I know what you've been through and I'll approach you with the, the, the decorum that needs it because I realize you've been beat down and it'd be really easy just to kind of continue to beat you down as your friends did, but I'm gonna come at you. I'm gonna help you understand that I am for you. I love that he says, I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. I too am human. I too know what it means to suffer. I can only imagine, Job, what you're walking through, man. I can only imagine how hard it is for you. I can only imagine all the things you've had to suffer to get to this point. I don't, I don't know how you've done it. So let me just come and I want to kind of just be a, I want to be a calm to you, but I want to bring truth. I love that about him. Elihu was the one who knew he was not the judge in the courtroom. He was the mediator. He knew that God ultimately is the judge in the courtroom and he is able to sit back, get perspective and offer some key things. So again, a couple key things are these. Wise people listen more than they lecture. They love you enough to get in your face. They, they know their role and what their role is and they know when to be blunt and when not to crush. And those kind of people, if, they, if you can get those around you are, are hard to find, but they're the ones we need as we build a wisdom team around us. As I said at the beginning, we need this team because when we are in the fog of uncertainty, everything shrinks. We need this team around us because at different seasons of our life, we need different friends in those seasons to get us through. We need to be selective about our teams, and we typically want to, we want to pick our friends rather than them picking us. This team is crucial because you will become who you hang out with the most. And lastly, you need this team around you because you can still love God and be unwise. We all need wisdom in our life, and Job reminds us here that we need wisdom in every single part of our life. 
Because right before we meet Elihu, Job lists the following areas that he will be uh, receiving instruction on. Let me tell you, this is the things that Job, before he even meets Elihu, these are the things he needs wisdom on. And he lays them all out in chapter, 20, in chapter 31. These may be areas you need help on. Lack, he says, here's the things that I need wisdom on. I need wisdom on lying, on greed, on lust, on adultery, injustice, lack of compassion, trusting in money, hospitality, secret sins, jobs, abuse of power. All are listed in Job 31. And these are what he's seeking wisdom on. And Elihu comes with those qualities and becomes this team around him. So if that's what we need, just to get practical as we close out this morning, let me give you a couple questions to think through on how do I then do that, right? How do I have that team? And maybe you have a couple of those around you and praise God if you do. But these may be some questions for those who think, how do I do that? How do I build this friendship team around myself? And this goes for the adults in the room as well as the students in the room. You as students in the room probably need this even more so because there are gonna be friends in your life that you are going to need wise friends and not the ones who are unwise. Y'all know who those are, right? How many of you had the unwise friends in school? That was me all the time. You know, the guy that was like, let's just do it. You know, that guy or, or the guy who's like, not my fault. That's, that's my favorite guy. Or, or the guy who like sets everything up to get in trouble, then never shows to the thing that we're supposed to get in trouble with. That's always the good friend. Or the friend who doesn't acknowledge you in the lunchroom, but is your best friend outside of school. Those are all the friends that we had, right? And we don't need those kind of friends here. So how do we get those kind of friends in our lives here. So let me give you a couple things. Number one question is this, do I have the maturity to seek out a leadership team? And then they just add, maybe not even maturity, do I have the humility to seek out a leadership team, a friendship wisdom team around me? I love this quote by Andy Stanley he gave a couple weeks ago. He says, if you consider yourself too important to be under authority, you're probably too immature to be over authority. If we can't admit that we need wisdom around us, he says, maybe you're not in the right place. But if we can truly admit that we need a leadership or a wisdom team around us, some friends that are wise on our behalf, then then maybe we need to reevaluate where we truly are. So that's the first question to ask is, do I have the maturity to seek out this team? Do I have the, 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 the humility to go ask somebody, hey, can you, can you coach me in this area of my life? And number two, uh, this is a really easy one, but I think we, don't, we can often overlook it, is God, would you guide me to the right team? God, as I, as I hit this next season of life, we realize that, you know, things are not going to make sense from now to the end of the year, and things are going to be keep changing from now to December and probably even beyond. My favorite term right now in, in the world is we're going to hit pause on that. It's just a funny word to me. <laughs> like, really? We're going to hit pause, and it's just going to kick back the way it always was? That's just a, that's just a personal vendetta. Um, <clears throat> I need a wisdom team around me to counsel me on that one. Um, pause. We're going to hit pause Think how many times, anyway, go ahead. That's just not for here. Um, God, would you guide me to the right team? God, God, would you help me find who I need to surround myself with that can give me the answers to the pauses in life? God, would you help me to understand those things in my own world? Would you guide me to the right team, God? Would you, would you please do that and to ask on a consistent basis? Number three, um, this is a fun one. Who on your team now needs kicked off your current roster? <laughs> Who needs to go to the bench? Because they ain't playing so good. You know, you, you, you love them. They're great. They're really fun people, but they're going to lose the game for you. And you see it and your entire team knows it. You ever been that guy or know that guy on your team? Everybody's kind of like, that guy needs to go. And the coach is like, but he's got a good heart. And you're like, I don't care. If he's got a good heart, I want to win. 
Thank you very much. He needs to go on the bench, and you need to stop being so nice because this is ridiculous, right? Who on your team do you honestly need to think through and say, yeah, they haven't been the best. (laughs) They have not really been helpful in my life, and so I need to kind of put them on the sidelines for a little bit. That doesn't mean you defriend them. That just means I don't go to them for counsel on these certain issues because I realize they're not the best resource right now. Who needs kicked off your current roster? And then lastly, number four, get specific. Would you please coach me in, okay? And here's a couple things that you could say, okay, this wise team, as I think about now until December. So give me, let me kind of paint that for you. If you think of today to the end of the year, and this is going to be that thing where you say, okay, I need coached in what? And it could be these, could be having more joy, making better decisions, sharing my faith, parenting my kids, budgeting, being discipled, uh, being more disciplined, prayer, use of social media. I don't know, but some things, these things you may need coached in and you're willing to say, could you walk me through the wise thing to do in my parenting? Would you walk me through the wise thing to do and having more joy in my faith? I feel like I really, really need that in my life. And if you were to kind of ask those friends, I want you to think through who in your life could you ask those questions of? And I want you to think not only in terms of like this week, I want you to think in terms of like six months. So I think in Christianity or in sermon-based stuff like this, like there's a sermon given, there's application points, and you think, okay, so I got to go apply that this week, and I got to nail it this week, and then everything will be fine. I'm telling you, this is going to take months of work. But if you get the right team around you and you have a focus, in six months, you can be a transformed person by the end of those six months, if you truly say, okay, God, lead me to the right person. And if you ask that person, hey, by the end of this year, by the end of 2020, I would love your help in whatever that is. Because we all need wisdom teams around us. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of not knowing what to do, we need this team around us. Ultimately, in this team, we have to trust that Christ will provide it for us because he is good, because he will not crush that, that, that we, he will not snuff out that flame. He will not take us out. He is loving and caring for us, and he wants us to have this team around us. Hopefully some of this is, is practical. Hopefully some of this is applicable to you, and you can start to put these in place so that by the end of this year, we all could say, man, I've got one, two, three, four, five different friends in my life that are part of my inner circle that I am authentic with, that I am 100% real with, and they can call me on my stuff, and I can call them on their stuff, and we live in this thing called discipleship, and it's actually working. Let me pray for you. Pray for me. God, thank you so much this morning for your word. We thank you for the example of Job. God, we even thank you for the bad example of his team. Um, we, we thank you for these friends that were supposed to be these wise men with all these credentials and, and yet often became useless. And I pray, God, that we as a body of believers here would not become useless to one another. God, that we would be authentic and we'd be real. And God, that we would put ourselves underneath your authority. And then we would put ourselves under our friend's authority and say, I want coached. I want help. God, for those in this room this morning who may want that, who may desire, I need that coach. I need that help in my life. God, I pray this morning that they would seek someone out. Even if it just starts with a conversation with me, their community group leader, I pray that there would be these conversations that happen as a result of these next months together that say, could you help me? Could you coach me in? And ultimately, God, would you bring us out the other side more like your son? 
We thank you for being here this morning. We thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. We thank you for entrusting us with your word. We pray that we would use it in our friends around us. You know, I pray. Amen.